The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 209 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all the opinions expressed in this show are my own, that that of my president or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Well, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, folks, number 208, with the co-founder of AppNovi, Mr. Ethan Smart, joined George to talk about how he got his start in cybersecurity business and what it's like to work in the industry without a degree. He also talked about how important certifications are when finding a job. They detailed how he bootstrapped out his own cybersecurity company and what motivated him to become an entrepreneur and how important running cybersecurity internally is for his own startup. All this and much, much more on episode 208 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, folks, I'm excited to have another entrepreneur on the show tonight. we got the chief executive officer and co-founder of Group, Group Sense, Mr. Curtis Minder, coming on a little bit. Curtis is the CEO and co-founder of Group Sense a leading provider in digital risk solutions. Curtis built a robust cyber reconnaissance operation protecting some of the largest enterprises and government organizations. He's been the lead negotiator at GroupSense for ransomware response cases. He successfully navigated and negotiated some of the largest ransomware breach and data extortion cases worldwide. Boy, I cannot wait to hear some of these stories from Curtis. He brings over 20 years of information security industry and a unique blend of technical sales and executive acumen. It's my pleasure to introduce CEO and co-founder of GroupSense, Mr. Curtis Minder. Curtis, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Look, I'm uh, super excited to have you on the show. We've got a lot of mutual friends, and they're like, you got to get Curtis on the show. So I'm super excited to have you here, man, especially with you know the state of cyber and what your company does and you know all the cool things that your GroupSense is doing. Um, you know, before we really get cranking, man, you know, we gave your bio up front. Everyone knows how cool you are, but give me, I'd love to get your take on just you know, a little bit about your journey and how you, you know, got to, you know, kick group sense off. Oh man, that's a, well, first of all, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for, for having me. I'm humbled, uh, to be on the show. Um, you know, obviously I've been in the industry for 20 plus years, so that's a long story. <laughs> Andy, uh, but, uh, the, the concise version is, you know, I, like many people in, in my sort of age band, I started in tech in the sort of early 90s, uh, right before the dot-com boom. And um, I remember I, I, was, I was working for an early internet provider in, uh, I grew up in central Illinois, like not Chicago, like corn and soybeans. <laughs> and there was, a, there was an early internet pro- provider there. And I was working there as a, as a tech support guy. And a book, uh, there was a book that had come out by a guy named Clifford Stoll called The Cuckoo's Egg. I don't know if you know this book, but uh, the book documented the cyber attacks against some of the national laboratories, specifically uh, UC Berkeley at the time. And um, this guy who wrote the book, Clifford Stoll, uh, I mean, the whole book is basically about him accidentally finding bad, bad actors in the logs, right? So 
I had access to tons of logs at the internet provider. <laughs> so, so I, I became fascinated with this idea that you could look in this, this stream of consciousness of, from the machines, if you will, and, and find anomalies that indicated poor cyber behavior. Uh, and uh, so that, that's where it started really. And I, I um, you know, in the early nineties and then I, for most of my career, I was in the operations side of things, hands-on tech guy, uh, dude, I did, you know, the, the typical jobs back then, early, early versions of pen testing uh, and, uh, you know, building cyber programs, writing policies. Uh, then I you know, got into architecture, et cetera. And then somewhere in the middle of my career, when I was doing sort of security startups, one of the CEOs of uh, one of my companies sort of tricked me into becoming a salesperson. <laughs> that that uh that paid better yeah yeah <laughs> so like, is that like sales engineering role or like like pure well i i had i had done sales engineering sort of uh you know when you're at startups you have to wear a lot of hats so i was an engineer but they would often put me in front of customers and i think they just recognized that i i had a, a knack for explaining the tech in a way that was consumable to the client and uh maybe i had the right wardrobe or something but they <laughs> they they, they basically tricked me into it, taking a, a proper sales role um, f- with which I was very successful. And my last gig before I started GroupSense was uh, working for a major network security manufacturer as a global account manager. Um, and then, you know, um, after that company went IPO, I, I had a little bit of cash in the bank and and decided, hey, I want to I want to try something on my own based on some some you know, some problems I'd seen in the industry. Uh, and then I made the questionable, questionable life choice to start a business. <laughs> and here I am. So what was the problem that you were solving when you kicked off GroupSense? <laughs> Once again, I mean, what you intend to start and what you end up doing are sometimes quite different things. Um, you know, I, I was, I, in the beginning, I was just trying to solve a, a basic sort of uh, uh, tech privacy issue. Um, and and almost ironically, that shifted into uh, cyber reconnaissance, which is almost almost the opposite of that. Which was, hey, I'm going to try to keep from people from spying on data, and then I ended up being a person who spies on other people, <laughs> basically bad guys. Um, and you know how that came about is 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 sort of hashtag you know startup life. Um, you know, I ran into a, a co-founder at a at an incubator in D.C. where I was living, um, who had who had a a pretty amazing early tech stack on, on, you know, cyber reconnaissance and he wasn't able to monetize and I was helping, helping him do that. And then we just sort of joined forces and it snowballed on us. And now we've got a, you know, it's, it's like eight years later, we've got a, a whole platform and a whole, you know, cyber reconnaissance team. And <laughs> yeah, that's, yep. that's really cool, dude. So I love the, the transition, right? I mean, I feel like you've, you've been, you've successfully made a transition. that was very challenging for you know, a lot of technologists and not quite frankly, not everybody wants to do it. Right. So there's, there's that, but I'd love to get your take on like the lessons learned from, you know, being on the keyboard every day, trans, you know, like for your job, right. Day job um, to like being a CEO and co-founder and, and how did that sales role help you make the transition to be, you know, be comfortable making a, becoming a business leader. That's a that's a really profound question, actually. I, I'm glad you asked that. I have a lot of opinions, so I'm going to give you a couple of short ones, and maybe we can we can draft off of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So first and foremost, the, the you know the the transition from becoming you know from a salesperson to an engineer. There's a lot of folks who who try that in in tech and fail. I think the hardest part of that transition is letting go of um, the sort of the detail level that an engineer 
enjoys, you have to let go of that because that's someone else's job now when you're a salesperson. And so the, the, the your ego gets tied up in like, that's not how I would do it. Right. And you, <laughs> so you have to let yeah. go of that. And uh, so, so, so sort of some self-awareness is, is, is required to do that well. And then, um, you know, the, the second part of your question about how sales prepares you for, you know, being a CEO. So one, nothing prepares you for being a CEO. There's literally nothing. Um, and, and when, when people, um, you know, people refer to me like, you know, with some reverence, like, oh, but you're the CEO. I, I say like, look, man, I made this job up. <laughs> like, <laughs> so nobody true. appointed me. Nobody appointed yeah. me this job. I didn't get a voted into office, man. Yeah, I made this up. You um, didn't have to interview for that one. Right. No, I didn't. No, in fact, sometimes I even say like, I think I, I actually drew this short straw on this thing, but um, you know, nothing really prepares you, but I will tell you what, what the sales role in tech did help with. And that is um, when I was selling products uh, for, for companies, you know, you're, you're highly incented and, and, and tons of, of, of pressure to sell products that sometimes the customer either doesn't need or it won't actually solve their problem. And that puts you in a weird moral position as a sales rep. And that was always hard to navigate when I was working for other people. So when, when I started the company, you know, from the very beginning, like a, a philosophy and culture sort of developed around, let's look at customer desired outcomes and work backwards. And we don't, we don't deliver something that doesn't achieve those things like, under any circumstances. And um, and, and so with that, like we can talk for hours about this, but I mean, what that ends up doing is, um, you know, a lot of the, the tech culture uh, in, 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 in the capitalist culture will, will drive, you know, software products and tools that, that don't do those things that have really high margins and look great for, for the finance uh, side of things. But um, if you want to, if you really want to focus on customer outcomes, you usually need to put some people behind it. And the, that, that, doesn't necessarily look great on paper from a margins perspective, um, but we don't care. We, we, we keep doing it. And uh, as a result, you know, we have very loyal customers who are very, very happy. So, yeah. So I, I love that approach, man. Cause look, you know, having, you know, I get, I couldn't tell you how many cold sales emails. Oh yeah. You know, LinkedIn <laughs> message, pick, pick it. Right. I mean, it's nonstop. Um and, and there's kind of two things around it with the run. So like one, there's no previous relationship. So it's like really hard for people to kind of just jump in, especially remotely right now. Um, you know, they're, 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 I applaud the creativity that they're bringing to the, to the game to try to get your attention, but man, is it tough for, for them? Um, and, and they don't really get a chance to understand what I want to solve for. Cause there's really no mechanism for me to go I have to like go to them when I want, but I need to know what they really do before I don't waste all my time. So I'd love to get your take on like, what are the top desired outcomes you think are, you know, your customer base is kind of coming to you with right now? Well, so, you know, the, the space that group sense is operating in, um, well, it's evolved since we started, like I said, we're, we're probably, we're close to eight years in, uh, as a, as a, you know, formally formed company, but, it, the threat, the threat intelligence space has become a four-letter word. That, that's sort of where we um, where we started, and now, of course, the analysts have have decided to to apply more discrete labels to these things. And <clears throat> the digital risks space is now, I guess, where, like for example, Gartner would put us. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're looking at it through a customer, it, it it varies from customer to customer, but 
what does digital risk represent? Uh, by, by the way, I, I have a allergic reaction to using the word risk in this label. I'm sure some <laughs> of the other professionals do too, but hey, Gartner sort of uh, tattoos this on us and we can't, <laughs> we can't yeah. let go of it. We have to embrace it. Um, but uh, so the, um, the digital risk space, I mean, it's, it really is about looking for indicators that the threat actors might use against you uh, in an attack. As, I mean, if I'm oversimplifying, that's really what it's about. Um, but what the, the approach that a lot of the industry has taken is to provide that as sort of a feed or data. And the problem with that, as you well know, is that one, most, most companies, even the largest companies are understaffed um, you know, and, and under, under-resourced. Uh, that just simply handing you some data to tell you like, hey, this bad thing might be happening on, let's sort of say, for example, on the dark web, this bad thing might be happening on the dark web. It's not really useful to you unless you can do something about it. Um, and so just telling you, sending you data to tell you that something bad is happening that you can do nothing about sounds like a pretty poor product. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes it tough. So, we, um, so, so you know, just to, just to summarize, I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a way to deliver this information and it requires some, uh, some next step or outcome uh, that may, may involve my team getting involved in, in you know, uh, doing something on a, on a person level, like on a, on a personnel level to help the company mitigate those things. And that's, that's really what we're focused on. Very cool, man. Well, look, I got so many questions for we'll hit on the next segment, but we got to take a commercial break. Hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the, sh- the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with CEO and co-founder of GroupSense. Curtis Minder. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle. The Voice America interactive radio player powered by Aircast gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for your iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
by delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics. X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with CEO and co-founder of GroupSense, Curtis Minder. All right, man, well, look, I'm super excited about this part of the show, man. We talked at the break, and uh, man, you, you guys do some fun stuff. Like I loved when I was in the Secret Service, and I got to really get that you know real close interaction with the adversary, man. And your team is there, uh, you know, and you're and you're helping solve some really complex problems for folks. Tell me a little bit about like how you know you talk about the threat intel space, but what's GroupSense doing now that's like you know kind of new um, that I think you know the audience would love to hear about. Yeah, thanks for asking. The you know the, we. A lot of the things that we end up building as products end up being sort of customer driven. As I mentioned in the first part of the show, we we are looking at customer desired outcomes and working backwards. And sometimes those force us to invent new lines of business um, to help customers solve problems. One one of those, of course, is is ransomware response, and that <clears throat> excuse me that quite literally happened accidentally. We uh, when we're doing our core digital risk. Uh, offering, you know, we're, we're monitoring for indicators of risk to our core clients, but we always see victims who are not clients. 
And uh, we, this has been going on for years. And, and so we came up with a process called the open findings process is what we call it internally. And it's basically just to summarize, it's basically a, a method um, for us to deliver risk data that we find to non-client victims in the least ambulance chasey way possible. <laughs> because um, as you can imagine, you know, uh, the, the security teams and the CISOs of, of many of these companies are getting lots of inbounds about potential threats or open ports or, you know, from security researchers. And uh, a lot of that is a little bit of ambulance chasing. We didn't want to be those people. Uh, so as part of that process, we, we ended up uh, a couple of years ago, notifying a, um, a, a very large software company about what looked to be some initial access broker uh, activity around their, their systems that looked pretty credible based on our Intel. And long story short, it ended up being a, a ransomware attack that access broker had sold uh, the access to um, a ransomware actor who once they, they had figured out based on our Intel, they had figured out that this, this person was operating inside their network. They started trying to shut the doors and cut the cords, et cetera. And uh, the guy, uh, the, the actor executed the ransomware um, partial impact because we had, we were able to shut off some of the access before, um, before he actually did that. But the, 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 at the time, the insurance company uh, involved didn't really have anyone to, to be the liaison between the, the customer victim and the ransomware operator. And they asked, um, the, actually, the customer asked on behalf of their insurer if I would do it. And initially, my answer, answer was no. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't, you know, yes, yes, my team talks to bad guys every day. That's part of our job as, as a cyber reconnaissance team. But you know, it's a different, it's a different sort of scenario. We're, we're talking to bad guys. They think we're other bad guys. And, and so, you know, we're, we're basically infiltrating them. This is different. This is like a, a business transaction. Uh, and w- what happened was they, they'd asked me to, to bring a consultant. And then I knew that that does do this kind of work. I, I brought that person to the table, but on the day that we were supposed to start the negotiations with the threat actor, he no showed. <laughs> uh, he, he literally ghosted us. And uh, this, this person, by the way, is, I won't mention my name. He's also a very well-known uh, secure in the security community researcher in the security community. And uh, he, he just no-showed, he ghosted us. And, uh, you know, here I was on stage, uh, virtual stage, was a Cisco WebEx with the, you know, the, the C-suite of this well-known software company. And um, I just, uh, I, I said, okay, let's do it. And, uh, you know, at the end of that transaction, it was a very positive outcome for, for both the, the client and, and uh, you know, for our team, we think. And the cyber insurance company and the law firm involved sort of approached me and said, bro, <laughs> yeah. we, have a, we have more of these and, <laughs> and you're strangely good at it. Can we do more? And it, uh, so it initially it started with us uh, sort of just ad hocking the thing. Over time, that became a, you know, as it snowballed, it became a, uh, a full-on practice. Um, you know, we we do have folks from the IC and, and law enforcement community on staff who have formal negotiation training, but also we collaborated with you know um, formal formal uh, form formal negotiation uh, frameworks and projects out of universities and things like that to build out a, a formal program. That program also includes you know business impact assessment on the front end. It includes the compliance checks. It include it also includes like the crypto tracing. So we. We partnered with some of those firms and, and got certified in, in sort of crypt, uh, uh, cryptocurrency tracing for for compliance. Uh, and and now you know a couple of years later, you know we're, we're one of the more well known ransomware response firms. 
Man, I, I love the story, right? Because I've been in that situation where you're like, all of a sudden you're like the guy, right? Like you're like, yeah, you're yeah. that meeting expecting to play a certain role and now you got to step up and do it, man. And it's like, that's, that's, that's where, you know, those opportunities are chaos brings opportunity. Right. And, and right. Certainly take advantage of that. I love, I love those stories. I mean, so, you know, if this is, this is a full practice for you now, like what's the conversation, you know, like walk me through that negotiation. Like everyone's in the room, right. You got, you know, you got the insurance company, you got the outside counsel, you got internal counsel, you probably have the CEO and the CISO and you got everyone's, you know, what are the issues they're thinking through, as to, you know, how they approach going into the negotiation. Yeah, I mean, it varies from company to company. As you mentioned, the, the larger enterprises, you know, it's it's certainly a committee um, that, that, I'm, that I'm working with. Um, some, some are more put together than others as far as their, their response process. The, uh, the ones that are put together, they, they have a formal you know, uh, step-by-step process that they're going through. Um, some of that includes some of the business impact uh, components that I talked about earlier. Um, but yeah, their, their, their main concerns are one, you know, compliance, you know, they don't want to get a call from the FBI or, or, you know, the treasury department after they do this thing and, and find out that they're in trouble. <clears throat> the, the, you know, the executive team is worried about brand impact and what that looks like, uh, you know, post incident, you know, if this hits the news, if, if data gets spilled, that yep. impacts their customers or their employees, what happens. <clears throat> so it's like, it's a, it's a brand, uh, a lot of it's a, a brand issue. And then you've got the operational folks who are concerned about, um, you know, output, can customers place orders? Can we ship product? Um, that sort of thing. And, and how much money is that costing us? I will say that, you know, only a handful of companies um, handle this well. (laughs) Most most companies, even even the most mature companies who've who've paid, you know, you know, insert name here, management consulting firm, hundreds of thousands of dollars to help them with their incident process. Even those uh, tend to stumble in the scenario. I think one of the things that I learned should have been obvious, I guess, one of the things I, I recognize having done a bunch of these now is that most of our response processes and business and even business continuity processes are built around the the more traditional breach scenario which, which is sort of a nuisance and an embarrassment but it's different right it's like somebody took some of your data now you got to notify somebody that they did that yep. that everything still works but you know and and so when when the business impact is like nothing works like you can't use your email you can't ship product the the plc machines on the manufacturing floor don't work anymore um, a lot of the incident response processes and, and business continuity processes aren't built for that. They're not written for that. They, they don't account for that level of impact. Um, and I can give a bunch of anecdotes how that plays out. But so in that scenario where, you know, even the companies who have spent a lot of time and money preparing for these, doing tabletop exercises, et cetera, find themselves sort of winging it in the moment. And, and that's unfortunate. You know, it's, it's a really good point. I love the, you know, tying in the, the BIA and the, you know, the interoperability to the process. Cause you're right. I mean, I think a lot of folks are just conditioned to deal with like, well, you know, we've got, you know, a data breach, you know, here and we think we have a privacy incident and, you know, but yeah, it's like when you get to that level of like, when does ransomware become a crisis? Like how many, you know, most companies don't necessarily have a good sense of if I'm out for three or four hours, here's the financial impact. And therefore it's tied to a certain level of severity from an incident standpoint. And like, 
when does it become a crisis, right? Is it when it hits the right. meat? Is it when it's like, so I love that. I <laughs> love that conversation. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I'd love to get your take too on like, when you initially started doing these, you, you know, kind of a negotiation training that like you, like, how did you make yourself better? you know, before you guys turn us into a full-blown practice and hired, you know, former negotiators and all that kind of stuff. Like what, what did you do to kind of just get better at this? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I, I tend to be a pretty self-aware guy. I knew that I was in over my head uh, the minute that this started. I, like I said, we had on staff folks that um, came from law enforcement, had some formal training, I will say that one of the things that I brought to the table uh, that I think is difficult to train is sort of some extreme version of empathy. (laughs) Um, And when I say empathy, I don't mean sympathy because that's different. Sympathy means that you feel sorry for for the the person on the other end. Empathy means you understand their perspective and they're, they're fundamentally different things. That part of my personality uh, certainly played, you know, a, a, a pivotal role in our ability to be successful with the threat actors um, in, in the negotiations. Now, the, to, I did study, like I, you know, I, I went back to the, some of the, the cliche sort of industry books. I went back to getting to yes. I went back to, you know, um, the Harvard uh, negotiation, uh, you know, journals in, in Harvard business review Um which, by the way, those those publications are largely related. They're pretty similar. Um, I also read Chris Voss's book. I don't know if you know Chris Voss, um, famous FBI negotiator, hostage negotiator. Wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. Um, many of the principles are similar, but he he tells it he tells it in a much better way. <laughs> the story is much more consumable. Uh, I watched some master classes, so I was, I was learning, you know, relearning or uh, resharpening my uh, my traditional negotiation skills. Um, but that empathy part certainly you know, plays a, a big role. The other thing I'll say is all of those publications make some assumptions about what is what is going on in the negotiation. For example, they they assume that you have some physical access to your opponent, right? Mm-hmm. That you can see the person, that you can read their body language, hear the tone of their voice, whether it's over the phone or in person. Uh, that's not true here. Um, it assumes that you know, the, there's um, that they speak your language. Uh, they don't. Um, it assumes that there's some symmetry in 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 uh, sort of the um, leverage, where you know, from each party, there's really not. A lot of times, the threat actor has all of that. Um, so you know, there's just a bunch of really unique, uh, you know, circumstances around ransomware negotiation that don't really apply in the, in the, in the yeah. world of negotiation. I, I like to joke so too. True. Yeah. I like to joke and people say, you know, like, Oh, you're like a master negotiator. And I'm like, uh, that only works on bad guys in Russia. I paid too much for my truck. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a completely different scenario. Uh, it's, it's weird. So that's a good point, right? Cause you think about like the tone of an email or a text, Right. And sometimes you're like, man, I didn't mean for it to come across that way, but that's how the reader reads it. Um, Not to mention you've got different kind of cyber underground slang and, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got translation issues and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Right. So have you had any, you know, in those situations where you're like, man, I wish I said that a little differently. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I have. I, I, none specifically come to mind where, you know, I'm, I, I'm always trying to be better and be revisionist on, on how could we have communicated better. But the, the, the funny thing is, is right in the very beginning, we recognize a couple problems with this, this particular process. And I'm sure some of the listeners uh, have thought about this or maybe even experienced it, but <laughs> the, the, the idea that you've got this third party sort of negotiating on your behalf in the dark web with this, you know, foreign actor over what could be, you know, seven figures worth of your capital. is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> and um, in, in right in the beginning, we recognized like, Hey, look, this, this particular process where we are like, Hey, we're going to go over in this very dark, shady, anonymous place and talk on your behalf is rife for fraud or the accusation of fraud. And so, we we said, you know, let's build a let's build a platform that we can deliver this in a way that is one hundred percent transparent, not just for the customer, but for us, because we don't want to be accused of of malfeasance, right? right? And um, but so as part of that process, the reason why I bring this up as part of that process, we we um we allow the customers to 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 review and vet every message that is sent, and um sometimes the customers make really uh, meaningful input. And sometimes they make hilarious input. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, so it's, it's fun to talk customers through it. Like one, one of the things I try to remind them is like, look, this person, uh, first of all, the, 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 depending on the, the threat actor group, the, the first person you're interacting with may not speak English at all. Uh, it, it's scripted, right? So they're pasting something into the chat window that is scripted. That means when you respond to them, they're taking whatever you're typing and, and putting it in Babelfish or, or Google Translate. And why that's, why that's important is to understand that like the, the language, the words that you chose, understanding how those translate into their native language and tone and context are pretty important. And, and one of the things that uh, groups, especially on the front end of this negotiation, right? That's the beginning, you're setting a tone, you're setting, a, you're setting some momentum. Um, is one of the things that groups has had, you know, in our quiver, if you will, is that we have a team that speaks all of these native languages and understands that. And so we're able to, to give that feedback, but we've, yeah, we've had some hilarious uh, recommendations from clients. I bet. So you brought up uh, empathy, man. And I think that's a really great point. You know, having done a ton of IR for victims as a consultant in a prior life, I think people forget that companies are in this scenario are victims you know, and they're grieving and they're, you know, trying to figure out how to deal with this, you know, and there's a whole human humanity to this process that gets lost because you just, you know, think about it's a company, but there are a lot of people in that company that feel really bad or are grieving and having to deal with this and how do we make it better? And so, you know, I think, you know, that part is also interesting. You know, what's your sense of how, you know, when you t- the companies are thinking through like, man, if this hits the public, you know, the dynamic of how people view companies as, you know, they failed, they, their, you know, their reputation's at stake, but like, what's the dynamic in the boardroom, right? Cause you're still like, those are people who are victimized. They feel like they've been victimized and they're trying to do the right thing. But on the outside world, in some instances, they're villains. And yeah, you know, that is, that is like, you know, that is, 
the, one of the hardest things for, for company, you know, this is, this is why some of these PR firms make so much money, right? Because one of the hardest things for a company to do is to build and then maintain public trust. And it's, it's so difficult because a company is not an individual. It is a conglomeration of individuals and it only takes one of those individuals to, <laughs> to yeah. mess up that public trust. And, um, you know, yeah, so you're right. It, and I will say that on one of the things that, that sort of became apparent early on in the process was that, you know, dealing with the threat actors is, is difficult, but they have a playbook. Um, most of them have a, have a playbook. Uh, at this point, we've seen pretty much every one of their processes and, and we kind of know what to expect. Dealing with the victims and, and helping them through the process is actually sometimes the more difficult part because of what you said is that, you know, there's, there's, there's people here whose, whose jobs are probably in question at this point. Um, and it, it depends on the culture of the company, but, uh, you know, you're dealing with a, a CISO or a deputy CISO who, who's thinking like, well, when this thing's over, this is, I'm, I'm out the door. Um, and that does affect behavior and, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's hard. And, and the, 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 when we first started the, the response practice, most of our clients kind of fit the demographic that we've been talking about, which is, you know, I'm talking to a boardroom full of people. They have cyber insurance. They have a cyber breach law firm involved. Uh, it was uh, around October of 20, we finally got around to, you know, putting that we do this on our website. <laughs> it took us months <laughs> to do that. Well, part, I'll be honest with you. Part of it was because I didn't, I was, look, the channel that was bringing us this, this type of work came from cyber insurance and law firms. And I was fine with that. I was fine not advertising um, that we did it primarily because I felt like uh, it was a little bit ambulance chasey. It was like ransomware was the buzzword that all the security companies were using. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, But what what had happened was uh, one of the cyber law firms came to us and said, we're, we're about to bring you a very important client of ours that's been hit, but they went to your website and it doesn't say you do this anywhere. <laughs> and they, and they're, 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 lo- they're losing confidence in who we're bringing them. And uh, I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> so we, we put it up and, and almost immediately, like snap of a finger, um, Andy, uh, a whole new sort of profile of victims started showing up and it's basically everyone else, right? And, uh, and I like to refer to it just generally as, you know, Main, Main Street started showing up instead of, uh, you know, Wall Street. Right. And um, those victims are people who built, you know, a, a, a lifelong business. They've got 30 employees that they're going to have to lay off by Wednesday if I don't solve this. And it's it's a person. It's like their family-owned business. And that is extremely emotional and, and impactful to deal with. Yeah, man. I, I bet I, that is... Uh you know, I, I can picture it, right. You know, like the pizza shops, the, the couples, you know, fr- couple stores, you yeah. know, the, the folks that don't have an IT team or they outsource their payment system. And they're like, they thought, you know, man, I yeah. thought they were protecting me. Right. How many times you hear that? Right. I thought they were, I thought that's what they were doing. Um, yeah, man, it, it's, it's sad stuff. So look, I, I got some more for you when we come back, we got to take another short break. Uh, to hear from our sponsors. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from CEO and co-founder of GroupSense, Curtis Minder. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle. The Voice America interactive radio player powered by Aircast gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for your iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with CEO and co-founder of GroupSense, Curtis Minder. All right, man, we're at the home stretch. I appreciate it. It's been a fun episode to chat with you. I got a few things I want to cover here before I let you go. So first, man, you know, the conflict of Russia, Ukraine, you know, it, when I was, you know, in the government, we would start to see cyber criminals who were financially motivated day to day online, doing their thing, making money. And then you slowly start to see them shift over every now and then to, uh, you know, be offline for a little bit. And, and, you know, you come to find out that they were, you know, working on behalf of the state, you know, for uh, non-attribution type activities and kind of put their financial motivations aside for a little bit. Like what, what are you seeing right now in terms of change, uh, of cyber criminal behavior, um, you know, during the Russia Ukraine conflict? Obviously. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, obviously it's still, it's still playing out. Um, our team has done some significant research on this and published some, uh, advisories to clients around it. I think, I think the, you know, just tying into the crypt, um, sorry, the, uh, ransomware discussion, you know, most of these ransomware actors are operating out of, uh, out of these countries, out of, uh, primarily Russia, but Belarus, Moldova, um, and even Ukraine. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we're informing clients of is, you know, as you know, that the ransomware, the immediate ransomware impact is, is sort of operational impact. They've locked your files. You can't use anything, but there's also the fact that they've taken a copy of your files and we've, you know, we've told clients for a lot. So you know, the famous question they always get asked is like, hey, when we tell these guys we're going to pay them and they say they're going to delete the files, how do we know that they did that? And the answer is you don't, <laughs> which is why you need, you know, digital risk protection services, right? So you can monitor to make sure that data doesn't surface. But but basically, I you know, I've, I've informed clients that, the, you know, us in the cyber intelligence community have, have felt that that the quid pro quo for the amnesty afforded those operators in those countries is that, you know, the FSB gets a copy of that data. And during the, the conflict, um, you know, assuming just that being true, assuming that data could be used against us in a cyber attack and, and probably was used against uh, Ukraine in, in a cyber attack is, is fair. Yeah. It's such fascinating, you know, space and how it's all tied together, right? Like we see the headlines around, you know, ransomware, ransomware, but like the full kind of geopolitical, like, you know, what happens from peacetime to wartime and how the rules change. Like, it's such an amazing thing to see play out, you know, um, especially, you know, since, you know, the banking sanctions and it's just going to continue to change, especially as technologies change and you got crypto now. I mean, it's a completely different thing. Um, I, I, I did want to get your take on something though, because, you know, Having spent your time, you know, in the in large kind of technology companies that were in a security space that serve the enterprise, but you know, I always found that the small medium business market was pretty much left unserved, right? Like venture capital is looking for high dollar, like, hey, can we sell into the fortune 25, 50, do big deals, you know, um, give me that new big logo. Um, and the SMB, the small medium business market is not that. And so I felt for a long time, like they, they're kind of out hanging on their own a bit. Um, what are you guys doing? I know you got some efforts underway to try to help protect the small medium business market. 
um, be more secure. Love to hear what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. So I have uh, two two comments on that. So one is, you're exactly right, and in some ways, it it sort of perpetuates the problem, right? So uh, VCs fund software startups that produce high margin SaaS products that are tools uh, in the cyberspace, for example. Those tools are really only targeting the, the, the let's say the Fortune 2000 in that range uh, because those are early adopters of such tools. And typically those are the only companies that can afford the staff to, to operate such tools. Um, but we keep making more tools. And, and by the way, a lot of the venture capital money that's spent in these startups, they market these tools as solutions. They're not solutions, they're tools, which means they need an operator and they need to, someone to actually action the, the outcomes from the tools. And if we talk about the cyber skills gap, so companies are just snatching up cyber talent as fast as they can to help them operate all these tools that they're buying, which leaves almost no one for everybody else. <laughs> And that, and, and if you keep in mind, so when I was at, um, was at DEF CON and Black Hat and I had a couple meetings with uh, some, I was, on, I was actually on this uh, main stage with a, with a panel at DEF CON with a lot of the folks that are influencing cyber policy and, and things like that. And then we had some meetings. Um, and what I learned from that experience was that uh, the, the view from the policy side was also very focused on, you know, the name brands and or quote unquote critical infrastructure. And having, you know, in a previous segment, I talked about how we had like the, you know, the small to medium businesses hitting us up. And I had done, I still do a fair amount of pro bono work for small businesses um, on the ransomware response side because they can't even afford our fees. Um, what I saw was that, you know, when we talk about the Fortune 2000, you know, or critical infrastructure as victims related to cyber attacks and ransomware, it's really less than 5% of the total victim population. Everybody else, is, is, well, it's just everybody else, right? And, and nobody's paying attention to that. And also I felt pretty strongly like since small, small to medium businesses, Main Street America, if you will, they make up almost half the economy GDP wise. And they also account for more than half the jobs. And so I would argue that collectively they are critical infrastructure and we do need to pay attention. And um, that, that's uh, the, the first iteration of what we were doing. So GroupSense is certainly primarily, uh, you know, a, a large enterprise product um, and solution. Most of our customers fit that demographic. But uh, I personally decided to start volunteering to talk to small businesses around the country, at chambers of commerce, associations, universities, tech hubs, you know, and I, I've been doing that for almost a year. Um, and it started with me just giving a talk about why they needed to care about cyber hygiene and, and things they could do to solve, um, you know, to, to, to protect themselves from, from, for example, ransomware attack. But that wasn't enough. And, and so it eventually evolved, the content sort of evolved into a full-on training. It went from like a, you know, a 45-minute talk with questions to a two-plus-hour training that I would give um, that actually walked people through how to uh, set these things up. Um, and then that even snowballed a little bit further where I started working with some universities uh, where the com computer science students would uh, get school credit to help small businesses make the changes that I'm recommending. Um, and of course, this all, you know, I don't have a lot of spare time, Andy. <laughs> and so this all kind of got a, a little over my head um, and I decided to make it a, a real thing. And we, we formed a, a nonprofit 
uh, around this. And, and so we're we're working with a couple universities now. It's sort of in the first iterations, but we're, we're planning to take this nationwide where we created a, a nonprofit that's focused on helping, um, you know, the small businesses with basic cyber hygiene to affect, uh, to, to, you know, mitigate cyber impact. Super cool, man. I, yeah. I really think it's, it's a, a great cause. You know, it's something that <laughs> the vulnerabilities exist so much and it would just help so many people's lives. Um, so good on you, man, for, for, for taking it on. Um, well, look, Curtis, I, I think, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm loving what you guys are doing at group sense. Um, I, I'm, I appreciate you opening up about, um, you know, kind of what you're seeing some of the, your self-awareness observations, uh, which I think is always good before we head out though, any advice for budding entrepreneurs? Wow. I mean, tons, uh, <laughs> tons, tons of advice, but I, I think the, 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 the main thing is don't, um, succumb to the, to the, to the pressure of the capital market. If you, if you're actually looking at solving a real problem that you've identified, um, and, and you've got, you know, a formula on how to solve that, stick to your guns. Uh, don't, you know, as soon as you, you approach a, you know, somebody who might financially back you, they're going to ask you, how quickly can you turn this into a product that spits data with 95% margins? Um, that's what they're going to try to tell you to do. <laughs> and I mean, if you can do that and still solve the problem, absolutely do it. That's a great business. But uh, in most cases, it's going to require something else and, and uh, you know, just stick to your guns. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on the show, Curtis. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up out of here. Don't forget to visit aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7 to get your own pair of Task Force 7 sneakers. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.